let's be honest, what you do with your marketing budget is the difference between growth and death, at least for your marketing, right? And given that it's coming up to that time of year where people start planning their marketing budgets and unwittingly choosing between another year of growth or death, ooh, which way will you go? Here's a process that you can use to plan a marketing budget that allocates budget to the areas most likely to succeed, doesn't allocate budget to the areas most likely to fail, which is actually pretty important, and keeps everyone happy. Well, it can definitely do the first two things because that's all you really want your marketing budget to do, right? Is allocate budget to the areas most likely to succeed. So we're going to look at two things in today's episode. Firstly, we're going to talk about what a typical marketing budget is. And I'm going to give you some reference stats from Deloitte's annual CMO survey. And then I'm going to take you through a seven step process of planning your marketing budget, working out where you're going to put the most budget allocation, depending on what's worked for you in the past and what's working for your competitors. This is a process that you can use whatever you're selling, whoever you're selling to, however mature your business is. Okay, it's a process that you can use. I'm not going to say this is what your marketing budget should be because it's going to be different for every business, but I'm going to show you how to work it all out. Okay, sounds good. Let's go. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. Welcome to the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Tim Cameron Kitchen. I'm founder of Exposure Ninja. We are a digital marketing agency that helps our clients get more leads and sales online. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Now, today we're talking about marketing budgets, which I get it. They're not the most sexy topic in the whole world, but they are incredibly important because your marketing budget really determines your success or failure over the next year. We've worked with a bunch of clients on a bunch of marketing budgets over the years. We've worked been working with I don't know how many clients probably 300 clients and we analyze their marketing budgets with us four times a year on a quarterly basis so we've done a lot of this and this is the process or a version of the process that you can use to work out what your marketing budget should be and where you should be allocating it but first let's talk about what a typical marketing budget is now numbers from Deloitte's annual CMO survey say that the percentage of a company's annual budget on average that is attributed to marketing is 13.6%. Okay. And by the way, if you want to watch, uh, you want to see where all these stats come from, if you go to the video version of this on our YouTube channel, you can see it all. So that's 13.6% of a company's overall budget going to marketing. What about as a percentage of revenue? Because that's a bit easier to understand. Well, on average, it's 8.7% of a company's revenue is spent on marketing. But here's the thing it actually varies according to whether you're B2B or B2C, because on average, B2C companies will typically spend more on marketing than B2B. So just to give you a frame of reference, B2B product companies spend on average 7.8% of their revenue on marketing, whereas B2C companies selling products spend on average 15.1% of their revenue on marketing. So much higher spend for B2C product marketing. B2B services, typically 5.9%. 
whereas B2C services, 6.5% on average. So a smaller delta between the two there. So of course, all of this depends on how aggressive you want to be as well. If you want to be much more aggressive in your space, you want to gobble up market share, you want to destroy your competitors, then you're probably going to want to dial things up. If you're already very well established, you have very low competition, you might be able to take things down a little bit. And of course, it depends on your specific industry too. So some industries, for example, uh, software or communications or healthcare tend to spend much more, whereas some uh, industries like energy, for example, will spend much less. So the average in, uh, let's say, uh, healthcare, for example, 18% of revenue is spent on marketing, whereas in energy, only 1% of revenue is spent on marketing. So there's a, a big variety of different spends here. But hopefully that gives you uh, a bit of an indication about where your average should be based on whether you're B2C uh, or B2B or product or service. Okay, so the trickier question then is where to allocate your budget. You may not have control over the total amount, but you probably do have control over where it gets spent. So the actual allocations, of course, are going to depend on your business, your customers, the, the channels that you have well developed. But let me give you a process that you can use. Step one of the process is is to set your goals. Now, I always feel a bit, you know, there by saying, hey, firstly, set your goals, because the goal most of the time in marketing is, or at least should be, more revenue. But that is not always the case. And there may also be sub goals as well. So some companies may have brand or traffic goals, if they're talking about digital, uh, they may also have sub goals throughout the year about selling more of a certain product or service. We've got a client, for example, they give us annual revenue goals that we have to hit, but they also give us quarterly sort of business priorities about, hey, we've got this new product, or we've got this new service, we need to sell some more of this, or we've just bought this company, and we need to divert some budget towards that, or we just want to take on this competitor over here. So you might have sub goals as well. It's important at the start of your marketing budget planning system, though, to get all of these goals up and agreed by the shareholders or stakeholders in the business directors or board. You also need to make sure that they're realistic and don't be afraid to push back if you're being given goals which are completely ludicrous, right? If your goal is to increase your revenue 100% against established competitors, but your marketing budget is like 2% of revenue, and your competitors are much more mature marketers than you, well, <laughs> you're going to need to compare that to the stats I've given you above about average spend. And you might have to push back on whatever stakeholders are giving you those goals. You know, there are for Ferrari performance with smart car fuel economy. And that just doesn't happen, right? You're good. You listen to the Exposure Ninja podcast. But even so, you're not a magician, right? Even ninjas can only push it so far. So if you get ludicrous goals, don't just take them and say, right, okay, yes, we can see what we can do. You might need to push back at this stage because otherwise you spend a whole year trying to get to those goals, realize that they're never possible in the first place. And then you look like you failed, whereas actually you kind of knew that they're always impossible to begin with. So it's important to have goals which you actually believe that you can achieve with the budget that you've got. Step two is to analyze your current performance. And in particular, at this stage, you're looking for low hanging fruit. Okay, so at this point, normally in digital marketing, you're looking in two areas, you're looking at traffic performance to the website. And I'm assuming here that we're driving all the traffic to the website, which we're going to convert. And you're also looking at conversion. So how well the website is converting. So for example, we'll go over to GA4 or Google Analytics, 
and we have a look at a website's performance, um, even when we're thinking about where to allocate marketing budget. And the reason we do this early on looking for low hanging fruit is you might be able to pick up some relatively quick performance improvement with a few quick fixes. Let's say, for example, that your conversion rate is really terrible from one of your main traffic sources, or you've got a traffic source that's performing really, really well, and you might just be able to scale that relatively straightforward if it's a paid channel, for example. Well, these type of quick fixes can, if you can build them into your marketing plan, they can free up budget for other bigger long-term projects. If you're able to just allocate a relatively small amount of money to fixing some broken stuff, like a conversion rate, for example, which can have a transformational impact on a business's revenue, then that can free up your budget to spend on more expensive but potentially higher ROI channels later on. So we want to know if there's any low hanging fruit in a campaign really early on into the marketing uh, sort of budget planning process. Now, of course, you're also going to want to do some analysis about which other marketing channels that are performing best for you currently. Now, I'm assuming that you've got, you know, tracking set up and you're actually able to find that information out. But it's a good idea if you can to work out your cost per lead or cost per sale for each marketing channel that you're already using, because you're going to then feed this into your analysis later on to say, well, if we need to get this many more customers, we can do it with this channel for x. Whereas if we do it with this channel, it's going to be much more expensive. So we know that we want to focus on the first channel. If you can, you also want to calculate your average lifetime value per channel. Okay, so the our life average lifetime value per customer per channel because what you'll often find is that the traffic channels driving the most traffic or the lowest cost traffic aren't necessarily the ones driving the largest sales. I've given an example for uh, for one client that we've got or one business that I know very well is they have a channel which drives a relatively small number of uh, clients for them. But those clients are like six of their top 10 highest average order value clients in history. Okay. So even though if you look at it on paper, the number of leads that this channel generates for them, you'd say don't spend much of your marketing budget there because it's generating hardly any leads. But if you look at the average lifetime value of those clients, it's so high, it makes up sort of 30 40% of their business. So actually, it's, it makes sense to invest in that channel despite the low lead volume because those leads are so valuable. So if you can calculate your average lifetime value per channel, of course, this means that you're, you know, needing to attribute your, uh, your sales to a particular channel. So if you need to get the tracking set up, or you need to add a step into your sales process, finding out where people first came across you, for example, then that is a good thing to do. So once you set your goals and you've analyzed your current performance to spot low hanging fruit and to work out which traffic channels and which marketing channels are working best for you at the moment, the third step is to do some competitor analysis. Now, the reason that we're doing this isn't because we want to get super nitty gritty on exactly what our competitors are doing. We just want to understand the main marketing channels used in our industry and what our competitors' priorities are in their marketing budgets, okay? There's a variety of different tools that you can use to sort of analyze or determine their spend or prioritization on different digital channels. Um, I've 
talked you through ad clarity. If you've watched any of our YouTube videos recently, you may have seen me use this tool. It's a SEMrush app, which allows you to work out exactly how much competitors are spending in display, social and video uh, and uh, video ads. So it gives you really good insight into exactly how much they're spending, but also shows you all of the ad creative that they're using. So you can see are they spending a lot of budget creating loads of different ads? Are their ads relatively straightforward? Are they sort of user generated content? Are they better produced? And by looking through your competitors in this way, you can quickly work out, okay, is this, is display, is social, is video an important traffic channel for them? Then of course you can use SEMrush or SE ranking to have a look at your competitors search ad budget as well. How much are they spending on PPC on Google ads, for example? And of course you can have a look at what they're doing with their organic visibility in search. You can have a look at their organic social. You can have a look at their blog posting schedule as well to see how much budget are they putting into publishing content on their website? What sort of content quality is it? Is it long? Is there videos in there as well? And you can begin to build up a bit of a picture of where are our competitors putting their budget? Are they spending way more on ads than they are on organic? Is it vice versa? Are they spending loads of money on producing content in-house. Now, this doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to copy them, but what you're looking for are the trends or patterns in your industry, which can give you a bit of a suggestion as to, okay, this is what they're doing. You may or may not choose to do the same, but at least you know what's already working. And by the way, if you want some help with analyzing your competitors, then reach out to us for a free website and marketing review. You can go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review and request a free review from the team. And we'll be able to show you what your competitors are doing and where they're prioritizing their digital marketing efforts. We use this when we're building our clients a marketing plan um, because it's really helpful to see, okay, what's already working out there. So go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review to request a free website and marketing review today. Okay, so you've picked your goals, you've negotiated them with your stakeholders, you've analyzed your current performance for low-hanging fruit, you've had a look at your competitors. All of this should now enable you to work out your marketing channel priorities. Now we're not looking to allocate budget at this stage, we're just looking to choose the priorities that we're going to be focusing on over the next year or however long your marketing budget is for. One of the main mistakes we observe is companies that don't know which channel they should be prioritizing, okay? They have a sort of shotgun approach, it's a spray and pray thing. They listen to a podcast and they decide to do this and then they uh, watch a video and then they decide to do this and then they watch a TikTok and it says you need to be posting 10 TikToks a day and they say, oh, okay, stop everything. We need to be posting 10 TikToks a day. Well, they end up with this completely sort of scattered marketing budget, which is like an inch deep and a mile wide. And guess what? None of it works because they're not allocating enough budget into any one channel to actually make it work. So you need to have a much more considered approach. And typically this is worth doing on a yearly basis with a quarterly review. Now your marketing channel priorities should be a mixture of long and short term channels. Or another way to think of long and short term uh, channels is large flywheel channels and small flywheel channels. So what's an example of a large flywheel channel? Well, a large flywheel channel is any marketing channel that takes a while to build up momentum. So I'm thinking of things like SEO or content marketing or building an organic social media following or building a community, uh, running a podcast, setting up automated email sequences, uh, writing books or 
doing video marketing. So all of these different channels are large flywheel channels because they take a lot of time, energy, investment to get going. But once they're going, they can build a really good momentum which can actually last for months or even years after you stop doing them. For example, if you built a really high profile podcast, for example, uh, right, and it was really good at promoting your business, well, it might take you six months to a year to get traction for that. But once it's going, you don't have to do that much more promotion to keep it running. And actually, if you stopped doing it, you'd still get downloads and you'd still get people finding you through search. And it's exactly the same with something like SEO. You, it takes a bit of uh, time to get your website ranking on search and to get it loads of visibility. But once you've got that visibility, you'll keep it until someone steals it off you. So those are examples of large flywheel channels. And it's a good idea to have some large flywheel channels in your marketing budget, because these are the things that can really get you huge growth over years. But it's also important to have some small flywheel channels as well. And these are ones that are quick to get going. Things like pay-per-click advertising, uh, influencer marketing campaigns, running email blasts, running joint ventures, doing events, telemarketing. These are things where you can get them going relatively quickly in a matter of days, weeks or months. But the downside is once you stop them, their effects also stop or they at least wind down. Now, the reason you want a mixture of large and small flywheel channels, the large flywheel channels are going to be usually the ones that get you a huge amount of scale. The small flywheel channels are the ones that can be quite nimble and you can direct to focus in different areas. You can scale them up and down according to your budget or your revenue targets. Uh, you can turn them off if things are going really well or if things are going really badly. You can switch them out. So they're really nice to have a mixture of both of these because it gives you the flexibility that you need combined with a good amount of scale that builds you up uh, and, and builds your visibility over the long term. Let's do a couple of example businesses here to see how we might have a combination of large and small flywheel channels in our marketing budget. So we're going to do uh, the first example is going to be a B2B seller of promotional branded plushies because I'm looking at the very first Exposure Ninja plushie toy which our team has been very very keen for for about five years they've been nagging me for plushies finally we have them so let's say that you're a b2b seller of these promotional branded branded plushies so some examples of large flywheel channels that might be a marketing priority for you would be organic search and content marketing because these are the types of things that people are searching for they might be searching for you know quirky business gifts or a unique corporate merchandise or corporate plushies or things like this right and you want to be ranking for that because that is high commercial intent traffic so that might be some large flywheel channels, but your small flywheel channels might be things like paid search. Because again, people are going to be searching for those things, but they might be searching for a really wide range of keywords. And you don't fully yet know what all of the different keywords they're going to be searching for are. So some search ads can make sense. You can also get them up and running relatively quickly. So you can start picking up some traffic for them. You might also want to run some LinkedIn ads too. Uh, you might be targeting, you know, HR people saying, hey, these promotional branded plushies could be great for you know, company culture and making people feel excited about their business. So you might have a couple of paid channels in there, which are, you know, you can turn up and down as your organic channels continue to develop. Let's say that you're a luxury women's fashion brand, example number two. So this is going to be um, B2C, so business to consumer selling. Um, your large flywheel channels might be organic social. For example, if you notice that Pinterest is a really popular channel amongst your competitors and seems to be working well for them, you might make that one of your large flywheel channels 
funnels. You might also have content marketing and SEO. You might want to build out some style guides on your website that you want to get ranked, knowing that those are going to bring you traffic over months and years, and you can send people through to the product pages or uh, category pages on your website. But you might also want some small flywheel channels like influencer marketing campaigns, which you can get up and running quite quickly. Of course, once those influencers stop publishing, then you're going to see their effect drop off. But while they're running, that can be a really great thing to do. Paid social, similar sort of thing. You might also want some email marketing campaigns scheduled throughout the year to promote your new collections. So that's an example of a small flywheel channel can get it done very, very quickly. But of course, once you have done it, then the effect sort of drops off a bit. Now, it's not always easy to work out which channels to prioritize. So again, if you want some help with this, then request a free review from the team here at Exposure Ninja. Go to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. Okay, so you've sketched out your channel priorities. The next thing you need to do is assign the budgets to each of these. You need to work out how much each of these channels needs to succeed. Now, yep, the answer is always going to be more. <laughs> if you had an infinite budget, you would find a way of spending it. So at this stage, you may also want to start reducing the number of channels. If once you put in some penciled numbers, you realize, well, okay, we're expecting pay-per-click to work. But if we look at our average cost per sale, we can only really afford to get five sales a week and that's not going to hit our targets. So you may want to start trimming some channels here in order to be able to focus your budget and attention on channels that you know have a really high chance of success. It's much better to absolutely dominate two or three really high performing channels than be average across eight. It's very difficult to do well on a channel where your performance is just average. It's much easier to do well on a channel where you have real proper budget assigned and you're going hard and you're really focused on it. So hopefully from your data analysis earlier, you're going to know what your cost per lead is across your main channels. So you can tweak your numbers here to work. You know, for example, if you spend 30k a month on your PPC and your average cost per sale is 500 pounds, you know, you should be getting around 60 sales for that, right? So you need to cross check your budget allocated per channel with your average cost per lead or cost per sale. Of course, you're hoping to improve those numbers over time. But you need to be realistic here and make sure that actually the budget allocated is going to produce the results that you need from those channels. Now, some channels are harder to predict growth for than others, and they will depend on your business. So just to give you a bit of a reference point with our SEO clients, our average organic traffic growth for an SEO client is about 30 to 40% year on year. Okay, so that's average organic traffic growth for an SEO client of Exposure Ninja is about 30 to 40% average year on year. But this of course varies depending on how big the business is. For example, if we take on a site where the traffic is super low, for like less than 1500 visitors per month, we know the average increase for a site like that is 80% year on year. So it is going to vary according to how big your site is, how much time you've put into these channels, how well developed they are. But if you can estimate how much growth you could get from each channel over the year, you can start to work out, okay, are we actually going to hit our goals based on this budget allocation? And of course, like I said before, if you need help with this, ask us via the free review, or just drop us an email through the website, we'll be happy to put together a plan showing the amount of budget allocated per channel to hit your goals. How are sort of marketing plans work is 
We ask you for your goals. We then reverse engineer what it's going to take to hit those goals. And we break that down for you channel by channel. Okay, step six, there are two steps left. Step six is to review and adjust your budget allocation throughout the year. That's saying no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Not a bad quote there. So what does this actually mean for marketers? Well, isn't it obvious? As soon as we start running our marketing, our budgets and our grand master plan of everything that's going to happen over the next year is going to inevitably take a bit of a knock. Some things will go better, some things will go worse, some things will change, someone will give us a new priority that they need to work to. Whatever's going to happen, we're going to need to review our process along the way. At Exposure Ninja, we have what we call a quarterly campaign checkup, which is basically a quarterly review where we analyze what happened against our expectations. Uh, has the business priorities changed? Remember that client I mentioned at the start? They typically have, you know, one to two um, really important dramas that need to be addressed each quarter because someone has said, hey, we've got this new product that we need to sell and we need to immediately push it, push it. And it's the most important thing ever. We know that we're expecting one to two of those per quarter. So by doing this sort of quarterly frequency, we can adapt our marketing and make sure that the channels are the right ones to promote that product or service or whatever the drama is. You also want to analyze, is this still the best use of the budget? So analyzing things like your cost per lead and how this has changed throughout the year. As we're scaling these channels, is the cost per lead going down or is it actually going up? Sometimes it will be going up, in which case you might not want to continue scaling that. You might actually want to wind it down so that you can allocate some resource to other areas where the cost per lead is going down as you scale up, if that makes sense. Now, this isn't to say that you're going to, you know, throw out everything each quarter and just go and run to the next thing and completely change up everything. But I do think you need to balance patience with consistently reviewing what else you could be doing and what else that budget could be going towards. Your budget should be fighting for itself, really. Each channel should be fighting for itself and demonstrating to you why you need to continue investing in it. Um, so whilst you don't want to be too sort of shiny object syndrome, you also need to be, uh, you, you know, you don't want to be sitting there waiting for something to work and it hasn't worked for six months and it's not going to work for 12 months, but you're just going to continue waiting. Don't be too patient is what I'm saying. So once you've done that, the other piece of advice I can give you is thinking about agencies versus in-house and how much budget you spend on each. Now, obviously, as a marketing agency, we have a certain position. Um, I also do think that there are plenty of times where in-house marketers actually make more sense and actually building out an in-house team makes more sense. When an agency makes more sense, I think one of the main arguments for agencies is that when you hire an agency, you hire a resource that can be moved from channel to channel, at least if you're hiring a multi-channel agency. For example, when we work with a client, we might initially say, okay, the priority is conversion rate optimization in the early days. We need to get this website working for you. Once we've done that, then we can start driving more traffic through PPC and SEO. But we might not yet know the PPC channel that's going to be most profitable for them. So we might start with one channel like Google Ads, and then we might think, okay, let's test this against LinkedIn ads. Oh, actually LinkedIn ads works better. So let's put the budget into LinkedIn ads. Whereas if that company had hired a Google ad specialist to work in house, they are now wedded to that channel, they've made a strategic decision to either continue with Google ads or to make that person redundant, right? Hire in house, fire in house. Whereas when you're working with an agency, that resource can be moved very, very straightforward 
and nobody cries. An agency can also help you validate certain channels. So if you don't know whether a certain channel is going to be right for you, you can validate that with an agency before then maybe later on hiring someone uh, to run that agency. Of course, uh, <laughs> to run that channel. Agencies can also bring you a range of experience from different industries and different businesses, which can save time getting those flywheels moving as well. So I hope you found this episode on how to plan your marketing budget useful. Don't be afraid to send over your marketing budget to me, Tim, at ExposureNinja.com. If you want a bit of feedback, I will take a look. Otherwise, I'll see you next time.